we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor, challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Tonight, I'd like us to talk for a bit. It's good to see everyone's in the room. Can we talk a little bit tonight? Yeah, something dropped on my heart this afternoon, and it's titled, Christ Our Sufficiency. Christ Our Sufficiency. Last week, we dealt with the unlikelies, right? Treasures in earthen vessels. I'd like to build on that a little bit tonight, um, and just talk about Christ Our Sufficiency. What, when we say sufficiency, what instantly comes to mind? Okay. Sustain in what sense? Satisfaction, yeah. Enough and to spare. I like that. What else comes to mind? Sufficiency. Fullness. What else comes to mind? Perfect. Perfection. What else? Last what? Last long. Okay. Abundance. Satisfaction. Yeah, that already came. What, what else? Excess. Good. Too much. I don't think for a Nigerian anything is ever too much. That's why God gave you Christ. You are crying for more. God gave you Jesus. You are praying for more of him. Where do you want God to get the more from to give you? He that spared not his own son, but gave him up freely. How much, how lot will he not along with him freely give you all things? Christ is the best God can do. So if he gave you Christ and you want him more, I don't know where you want God to manufacture him more. <laughs> From sufficiency, I wrote here for the sake of this discussion, is for a necessity, something that is necessary. For a necessity, not a, not, not a frivolity. Does that make sense? For something that you need, something that is necessary. For a necessity to abound without measure. For a necessity to abound without measure. Such that it cannot be exhausted by any demand placed on it. For a necessity to abound without measure. Such that it cannot be exhausted by any demand that you place on it. It's like trying to not breathe because you fear that oxygen will run out. Has anybody ever done that? You woke up in the morning and you're like, let me, let me reduce the demand I'm placing on oxygen because at this rate, <laughs> it, 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 might, it might run out. You just breathe as long as you, your bronchial whatever is functioning properly. Um, you just breathe normally because you know that there's enough. In fact, it is so enough that you don't even have to remind yourself that it is enough. Most of the things we trivialize, we actually trivialize because of how much in abundance they are. Have you, real, have you noticed that? It is, it's in such abundance that you don't think about it. If you live in a house where there's a borehole, for instance, you just pump water whenever there's light. You don't think about anything like that. If you live where there's no light, there's no water, there's no borehole, there's no water board. Your neighbor doesn't have, your street doesn't have. When you finish washing, you will save that water. Who am I talking about? The 
the water of the washing, the water of the rinsing. Yeah. Because you all of a sudden realize that this thing is a premium. But when it flows in abundance, it is, you don't even think that it's there. You spit in the toilet, you flush. You see something funny around the toilet bowl, you flush. You sit down, you try to weed, the weed didn't work, you flush. You sat down, you do a pool, only a fart came, you flush. You just keep, you just keep, you know, you're chilling. When they tell you that water has finished, ha, what's that? Sufficiency is for a necessity. Somebody say necessity. Not just anything. For a necessity to abound without measure or in such a measure that it cannot be exhausted by any demand you place on it. It's almost as though it is self-replenishing. Does that make sense? Self-repleting. The more you use it, the more it excels. The more you use it, the more it multiplies. You can't exhaust it. Now thinking about that, one of the names by which God, or one of the attributes by which God was identified in the Old Testament by the Hebrews or by the Jews, is the word, a compound word, El Shaddai. El is a prefix for in any name of the Hebrew that refers to God. Does that make sense? So when you hear Beth, Beth means well. So when you hear Beth El, it means well or place of. Beth means place. Beer, B-E-B-E-R like, you know, B-E-E-R means well. So when you hear Beth El, it refers to the place of God. Make sense? Or the house of God. Bear will be well. So El is the word or the prefix for God. El Elyon means God most high or God in God's. Because El Elyon is a plural, is God in the plural sense. Plural sense as in his tripartite nature, not in three gods. Does that make sense? So when God says, let us now create man, let us now go down, that us is the Godhead. Does that make sense? So when it says Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead, it means El Elyon is collapsed together in Jesus. Does that make sense? So in Jesus is the expression of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make sense? El Elyon. So the word is a compound word. El Shaddai is El, and Shaddai means one who is multiple-breasted or many-breasted. Make sense? And it comes from the anatomical example of like a mammal, like a pig, a saw, a female pig that has, or, or, or a female dog that has multiple tits, T-E-A-T-S. Notice that on the bottom. It has multiple tits, particularly the sores, the female pigs. And usually it is a bad omen if a, a mammal or a, 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 a pig or a dog gives birth to more offspring than the number of teats she has available. So you would hardly find a pig giving birth to 13 piglets if the pig only has 12 teats. Do you understand? There's usually more teats than offspring. Such that when the female sword, the female pig is there, or female dog is there, and and the piglets or, or, or puppies are running around, all they do, or kittens, all they do is just come, and each one knows that at any point I come to feed, there's a tit with my name on it. 
Usually what happens is that if there's more offspring than the number of teeth, one offspring quickly dies. Because at that point, there is a necessity, but it is limited in measure. So the mama or the mother gives birth to only what she has the capacity to sustain. If she gives birth to more, one will pay the price. Otherwise, there's usually more tits than offspring. More breasts. Yeah, they're called, they're not called breasts in that sense. But same anatomical yeah, um, inference. More tits than offspring. Now, so Shaddai means that God is the multiple titted one. Such that there is none of his offspring at any point in time. That needs to feed and there is no teeth to feed it. It's good to understand the nomenclature of this thing. I I love etymology. I love the the signs of words and how they come about. I like to find out. So when you hear him called El Shaddai. is the God that has more than enough teeth for every single of his children. (laughs) <laughs> is anybody already getting this tonight? Yes. So Shaddai is the multiple, it's an, 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 an anatomical term. It means the multiple breasted one, the God that has a teeth for everybody and then some left over. That's why it is now loosely translated because we don't want to say the God that has teeth. We then say the El Shaddai, the God that is more than enough. Or El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. But you see, until a picture forms in your head, sometimes comprehension is difficult. So sufficiency is that a necessity abounds in such measure that it cannot be exhausted by whatever demand that is placed on it. Are we together? And I put here, by human standards, as we have all said, by human standards, sufficiency is essentially everything that a person needs to periodically add to himself to survive. So in other words, you don't have to, it's like we talk about pumping water now. You don't have to have a whole bedroom in your house dedicated to water tanks to know that you have sufficiency. You just need to know that when you need water, there's a pumping machine you can switch on. There is a tap you can open and water will flow. So sufficiency is not hoarding material. Just like it is not that baby piglet just staying on the teeth and refusing to let go because if I let go, the next time I need a teeth, I may not have one. So I, so I die here. That's not sufficiency. Sufficiency is the guarantee that periodically what you need to add to yourself to survive is available. When you need food, food is available. When you need water, water is available. When you need 10 liters of water, it's available. When you need a ton of water, it's available. So by human standards, it's whatever it is that you need to periodically add to yourself in order to survive. Have we set a foundation for this? What are we talking about? Christ, our, 2 Corinthians 3 and 5. Somebody say, Christ is my sufficiency. And so saying that you're picturing it, right? 
There's in all these supply chains of God, there's one that is always guaranteed to me. If I want two, I can have two. If I want three, I can have three. If I want ten, I can have ten. God is inexhaustible in his ability to look after me. So there is no demand that I will choose to not place on God because God cannot handle it. God is too busy meeting your own needs so he can't meet mine. God is too busy covering you that he can't cover me. And that's why sometimes we've been coined into believing that we must go to God through people that have guaranteed direct access. People that they don't have network failure with God. At any point in time, they have a direct line to God. Your own line might ring busy, but them, they are mighty men of God. No. He's all sufficient. He can look after me plus my excess. Plus my wasting. Do you understand? Look at the story in Luke 15. Somebody gets up and tells his father, the way I'm looking at you, you're not going to die soon. I like sharing the story. I can, I can never tire of sharing the story. You wake up in the morning, you gym. You run five kilometers in the morning. You do insanity in the afternoon. You do hip-hop abs in the evening. <laughs> you play long tennis every weekend. You, you're going to live very long. You eat vegetables. You don't eat past 7 p.m., you know, you eat your breakfast, you eat light legumes for lunch, you know, and, <laughs> and you eat a stir fry for dinner. You are going to live a very long time. And what that means is that it's going to take me a long time to come into my inheritance. Because where there's a test- testament, there must of necessity be a death of the testator. So the guy calculated that there's no way this man is going to die early. So you know what pops? Let's just assume now that you are dead. Yeah, just in my mind. Just die already. You are dead to me. What that means is that I qualify now my inheritance. Give to me what is mine. And the father divided all that he had. Somebody say all. NKJV says he divided to them his livelihood. Look for another translation. So the father divided the property between them. Look for another one. And he made a division of his goods between them. Where's the message? Okay, so he's, okay, stay here. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. How does the good old KJV put it? And he divided unto them his living. Watch this. This suggests and submits that there was nothing the father held back when he divided. He divided unto them his living. His livelihood, his goods, his wealth. That means right down to his shoes. To the pens and the scrolls. To every single animal and every single slave. He took every, can somebody say everything? everything? He had. And divided it in two between the two sons. Say between the two sons. It wasn't that he just gave the prodigal son his to go and left the elder one because the elder one is still here and the elder one still considers his father alive. He divided unto them, between them, a portion for this, a portion for that. And each one had his portion. And one took his portion and left. 
and squandered it. Somebody say squandered it. Spent it. Wasted it. One day he wakes up and realizes, wait, even the slaves in my father's house that don't have any portion, as at now, they they are doing better than me. He came to a realization that even though his father split all he had between the two of them, the father did not deplete in value. Because if the father split his entire livelihood between the two of them, it means that whatever slaves the father had were split two ways. The father had none anymore. At the time of splitting, if there were 20 slaves, 13, for instance, went to the elder son, 12 or 7, whatever, went to the younger son. No more slave under the father's jurisdiction. But the boy wakes up and realizes, even a slave now in my father's house. So they are slaves now. I know my father. The fact that I took my share of everything he has, and the fact that my brother took the other share of everything he has, doesn't mean my father has nothing. My father is not reducing in value because he shared his entire livelihood between the both of us. Um, I'm going back. He gets back. And the father sees him afar off. He He rehearses his repentance speech. Sinner's prayer. Utter call. I'm not worthy. Come before your presence. Blah, 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 blah. Make me one of your hired servants. And see verse 20. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Because he felt he participated in becoming his son. So now he can participate in disowning himself from his father. There is, I've said over and over that the worst form of humility, the worst form of pride is the one that disguises itself as humility. It's bad enough to be proud. It's worse to hide your pride in humility. It stinks. It is so annoying. You're trying to form humble, but you're actually being proud. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. So please reduce my status to servant. I've, I've squandered whatever premium of sonship I have because he had squandered it. Is anybody here with me tonight? Has, hadn't he squandered it? Had spent it all. And so I don't have anything left anymore as far as sonship is concerned. So you know what? I'm fine to just be servant. Next verse. The father said to who? The father did not answer the boy. Why did the father not answer the boy? Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Proverbs 26. Father saw foolishness. Totally ignored the boy's prayer. Went on to do what was always in his heart. Said to his servants, bring out, watch this, the best robe. And put it on him. What does robe signify? Royalty also signifies what? Righteousness. Because when man fell, man came into the realization of nakedness. God clothed him 
in a promissory sense of what will come. Does that make sense? Righteousness is, is, is a robe that we have been clothed with. So in clothing him, the father covered his nakedness. And says, whatever it is that you think has changed your status, I don't see it. Dress him up. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. What does a ring signify? Authority. What does that ring mean? I gave you all that was yours. You went and squandered it and wasted it. You're back. I lost nothing. Take the authority to spend and waste some more. Because the God of just Christian should receive you and place you on probation. Put you in the back seat and let's watch you first. And let us human beings see and be satisfied that you are contrite. That devil is a liar. God took authority and gave him again. Higher authority than he had. So now you have authority to spend. You, have, you can use my bank account. You can use my jet. You can use my limo. You can use any animal, any cow, any bank account. Any, you can use all my air miles. Whatever it is that you see around here, you have the authority. You always had the authority to use. You're back. You're my son. Nothing changed. Go and waste again. Why? Because it turns out as this boy came back, sir, his father did not become an inch poorer because he gave them his livelihood. Why? Because this man is a type of God the Father whose livelihood is inexhaustible. So he gave you all, but he lost none. He therefore did not need to guard what he had now collected or amassed. Because now you have come back, you will waste it again. No, he had enough security in his sufficiency to say, I mandate you to waste it again. Because by the time you finish wasting, there's more. Say, Christ is my sufficiency. Say, Christ is my sufficiency. So, therefore, you understand the conundrum when somebody believes that the sins you committed before you became born again, before you confess, God has forgiven them. But anything you commit now is outside the remit of the blood. We, we must help God to punish you. It's not possible that you, you sin now and you are, for, you're, you're, you're forgiven. No, when he said, behold, this Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It was not including the sins that you were going to sin in 2020. It, it, it only included the sins that you will sin up to 2017 when you gave your life to Christ. But you see, the stupid thing about that argument is that he died 2020 years ago. You are, you're not even being born to sin the sin you would have sinned legally as an unbeliever that justified forgiveness when he forgave it. So God looked at your life that was yet to come and just so that you will only sin until you say, yes, Lord, I believe. And then he now covered that one. The one after you say, yes, Lord, I believe, you are going to pay for it. You start counting from there. Then this father should have said, you are back. 
Join the boys quarters first. Yes. That's why my mandate is to bring and present the truth simply put. Because you see, African traditional religion is the biggest devil of the truth of the gospel. We start to look at our heavenly father the way that our earthly fathers relate with us. And because of the reality of your relationship with your earthly father, you are convinced that God is like that. You are convinced that God is like that. My friend, get out of my room now before I blow your head apart. And you cower out of your father's room. Or your mom will tell you, go back to where you're coming from. And then I will go back and then I'm in trouble. Why did you go back? Where are you? I went back to where? Eh? You couldn't beg. Because now she's the one that can't sleep anymore. Why say I should go back to where I'm coming from? And so we think God is like that. But he's not. Because he's all sufficient. You can't exhaust his grace. You can't exhaust his love. Can't exhaust his supply. He's limitless. Somebody say Christ is my sufficiency. I call 2 Corinthians 3 and 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. To think of anything as being from ourselves. Look at this next slide. But our sufficiency is from God. Somebody say my sufficiency. Is from God. In the context of what he's saying, look at verse 6. It's from God. Who also made us, our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Put us uh, in the message. Let's just see how it puts 5 and 6. We wouldn't write a letter about ourselves. Only God can write such a letter. Talking about themselves as written epistles. NLT. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. See verse 6. He has now enabled us. Somebody say enabled us. Why? Because he's our qualification. Somebody say I qualify. The word here for sufficient in in the New King James, 2 Corinthians 3 and 5, the Greek word is a word hykanotes. H-A-K-A-N-O notes. You know notes. N-O-T-E-S. Yeah, no test. So H-I-K-A no test. I cannot. I cannot test. That's the word used in 2 Corinthians 3.5 for the word sufficient. Okay? Interesting enough, it appears just that once in the entire Bible. That word, I cannot test, appears just once. Even though the word sufficiency appears other times. But the word from which it's translated, I cannot test, appears just once in the Bible. And it means competence. The word hykanotes means our what? So if you reword 2 Corinthians 3 and 5, it says not that we have any competence of our own. But our competence is from God. Who made us competent? Someone say my competence is from God. That means straight up, the deficiency in your competence 
you have not tapped yet fully into the competence that is from God. Because if God is your competent, what can you be deficient in? Does it make sense? If Christ is your competence, you shouldn't suck at anything. So this is where reality becomes real. Because you know, one thing about us is we're very, especially developing world, unfortunately, we're very good to create excuses for ourselves. Have you noticed? We're very, very quick to create excuses why we couldn't have done something. And then we allow ourselves to be defined by those excuses. But our competence is from God. The other word, because again, I checked when I, when I saw this, I, I, got, I got a bit bewildered. Because I remembered when, when the lexicon said that this is the only time that Hycanotes appears in the Bible, I instantly remembered 2 Corinthians 9.8. But you, having all sufficiency. So I was worried. Because in 2 Corinthians 3 and 5, the, 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 the text said not that we have any sufficiency of ourselves, right? But our sufficiency is from God. And then I checked the word for sufficiency and it's Hycanotes. And I'm like, but it says that that's the only time it appears in the Bible. So instantly, if you're a Bible student, my mind now goes to, but six chapters later, in 9 and 8, it says, but you having all sufficiency. So if 3 and 5 is the only time Hycanotes appears for sufficiency, then what other word has been translated sufficiency in 9 and 8? That's how my journey started. And then I found another word, Aotekia, A. U-T-A-R-K-E-I-A. Are we in Word and Life? Are we in Word and Life? Yeah, it's a Bible study gathering. Right? It's not a feel-good gathering. It's a word meeting. Yeah? It's a word meeting. So can we go on? So, what's the word? Autakia. A-U-T-A-R-K-E-I-A. And that, that's the word that appears as sufficiency in 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 and in 1 Timothy 6 and 6. First, we've seen 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, right? You have enough sufficiency. So put up 1 Timothy 6 6. Now, godliness with contentment. That's the word there, autakia. So I start to think, right? On the one hand, sufficiency means competence. On the other hand, Sufficiency means contentment and limitless supply, as in the case of 2 Corinthians 9.8. But you have in all sufficiency. So I looked into the meaning of the word autakia, as appears in 2 Corinthians 9.8 and 1 Timothy 6.6. And in these two texts, and again, that word autakia appears in only those two times in the New Testament. The word there means self-sustaining. Used in reference to the spirit-filled Christian having all they need within and through the indwelling of Christ. Self-sustaining, used with reference to the spirit-filled believer having all they need in and through the indwelling of Christ. So, on the one hand, sufficiency is 
the competence of God available in the life of a believer. On the other hand, sufficiency is contentment or self-sustenance available to you as a believer through Christ. So it means that once Christ is in you, every teat of God is available to you. Not T-E-E-T-H. That's teeth. Amen. That's what? No, that is a teeth. The one inside your mouth. Is what? Is what? Some people are not answering now. You're afraid to answer that one now. Teeth. So you see, so there are different words. And then there's T E A T. Teeth. <laughs> I'm brushing my teeth. Which one? Because we are talking about two different things. <laughs> Hallelujah. Having all you need through the indwelling of Christ. So because Christ is in me, all the resources of the Father are available to me. That's my reality. That's your reality. Because of Christ. Right? Are we together? So, putting this together, one can then define the sufficiency of God in Christ or Christ our sufficiency as the limitless impression and expression of the ability and supply of God's life and creative force available to the advantage of the believer. I'll take it again. In every sphere of life. The sufficiency of God in Christ is the limitless impression coming into you, right? And consequent expression of the abilities and supply of God's life and creative force. Available for the advantage of the believer in every sphere of life. How the child Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. The stature there refers to maturity, wholesomeness, groundedness, completion. Not stature as in he grew with six pack. Do you understand? Mm. Even though he probably had six or five, seven. He was a carpenter's son. Come on, think about it. I'm sure he had some parks. But who cares? Parks don't save anybody. So, so, so whether I had a pot belly, whether I had six parks, 12 parks, I don't give a pack. And the church say, because parks don't pay for my sins. Blood does. Yeah. <laughs> Child Jesus grew in wisdom, Sophia, so force. Remember? The essence of God, the creative ability of God, the culmination of everything God is and knows. That's so force. The child Jesus grew in so force and stature. 
Statue means groundedness in every area of life. Completion. And of course, in favor with God and man. So sufficiency is for the believer or believers. The limitless impression and expression of the abilities of God's life and creative force available to a believer or available for the advantage of the believer in every sphere of life. Are you following me? So yes, there are things that Jesus did not die for. But yes, there are things that Jesus died for that open you up to everything else. And see this way we need to understand it. Jesus did not die to give you a good job. Oh, come on, talk to me, what in life. He did not die to give you a good job. But Christ, 1 Corinthians 1, 24, 30, became for you the wisdom of God. He doesn't say the wisdom of God for salvation and righteous living. He says the wisdom of God. Now, you as a son of God for whom Christ is now wisdom, can deploy that wisdom and excel in your job. Which at the end of the day, whether the people like it or not, by extension means that my job was a factor in his death. He didn't die for my job. He didn't die that they might have jobs and have jobs <laughs> abundantly. He didn't die that hands might be released by fire. Lord, where is my husband? I forgot that Paul said that people that have husbands are now, they are now distracted. You now need double energy to please God. It's in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 7. Not to start. Ah, Father, where is my husband? The blood of Jesus released my husband. The blood is just not holding him. <laughs> it's not the blood that's holding your husband. Change your attitude. Change your dressing. Shave your legs. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Try and shave your legs and have a bath and see how much dirt comes out of your body. Has anybody tried it? Because it opens up the pores of your skin to realize how much dirt has been domiciled in the follicles of your skin because you refuse to shave. Your Hair traps dirt and stores it with preservative. That's the truth. No other pastor will tell you. That's why I am Pav. I will tell you and I will go and sleep when I finish telling you. I'm not afraid. No. I'm not afraid of you. Can you see I'm looking at you like this? I'm not, I'm not afraid of you. It's a fact. Try it. Once you have not shaved in a long time, just shave. As soon as you finish, go and have a bath. You be especially if you're in a bathtub, you'll be embarrassed at how brown and dirty the water rolls off your otherwise what you thought was a very clean skin. Try it. Bring me an offering to the office. <laughs> so for somebody, all you need is a lifestyle change. That's all you need. There's no enemy from your village after you. How are they successfully after you? When you died and your lives are hid with Christ and God, the enemies from your village pursued you into Christ. 
pursued Christ into God and got your attention and succeeded, then we should stop serving God and start serving the enemy. Because this enemy is so powerful that he can run into Christ, run into Christ in God, mess you up before God knows what is happening. You might as well leave the God because there's no security in him. Because whoever can wrestle with God, wrestle with Christ, get into God, clearly has more advantages and power than the God that we're serving. So why are we serving the God? Might as well be Satanist. So it's not a factor. Nobody's chasing you. Just lifestyle change. He didn't die to give you a husband. He didn't die to give you a wife. There were were serious things on his mind. Eternal things. Are you following me? So he didn't die for carnal things. But because you are a king and a priest, and because every king and a priest of necessity operates a domain, you can bring to bear the impression of God's wisdom in you and project it in the earth now and get results. If we don't preach that, we have not preached the full gospel. Because what Jesus came to preach was not Christ as an end. was Christ as an entry into a system of Christ-likeness. That's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is that the entire systems of this world are so subjugated until Christ is imposed on the earth. It's not Christ as in the savior of my soul. Christ as the system of operation. Are you following me? Christ as the modus operandi. Christ as the constitution of the nations. That's the gospel of Christ. Not just Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, that's why we are not taking responsibility for our sonship. Because if you're like, well, I'm saved. I'm eternally saved. So you don't want to waste your life in the earth. Because you're saved. You become like that servant that buried his talent. He didn't lose it. He just didn't profit thereby. Are we together? Are we together? The limitless impression and expression of the abilities and supply of God's life and creative force available for the advantage of the believer where? In every sphere of life. Second Peter 1 and 3. It doesn't have to excite you, but it's a teaching. You catch it, practice it, that's where it matters most. As his divine power has given us, has given to us, how many things? How many things? What does all things exclude? That pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. By his own glory and virtue. Self-sufficiency, we explained that in El Shaddai, right? Is one of the most defining attributes of God. God is God. One of the chief attributes of God being God is that he is self-sufficient. Nothing he created feeds him. Does that make sense? He's not dependent. You're not a God dependent on any mortal man, right? You're not the God in need of anything we can give. How does Psalm 90 put it? Verse 1. Oh Lord, that has been our dwelling place, right? In all generations, verse 2. Before the mountains 
were brought forth or even that formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Look at that again. Before the mountains were brought forth or even thou formed the earth and the world. From everlasting, no beginning, no end to everlasting, no beginning, no end, thou art God. So God is not God because of what he created. What is created exists because he is God. Do you understand? So God is not measured by his creation. O Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, before you formed, before Genesis 1-1, he's been all the God that it could possibly be. So nothing he created adds to him. Nothing you destroy reduces from him. That's why he gives you the ring and says, hey, go and spend. Because it doesn't deplete him. He's the omnibreasted one. Are you following me? There are two dimensions I wrote here of the sufficiency of God. One, he is eternally complete in and of himself. I just showed you from Psalm 90. He is eternally complete. So God did not become bigger just because he has more converts. Do you understand? He doesn't become more God. Okay, now he's a more successful God because Christians are increasing. Do you understand? Even if there's nobody on the earth saved, he's all the God he has the capacity to be. Because he's not measured by what he does. What he does is just a minute expression of who he is. Does that make sense? Just a minute expression. The scripture just dropped in my heart that I'd like to share. To drive home this point that he doesn't get added to by whatever it is that we do or do not do. Psalm 113. Let's go from verse, from verse 1. I need verse 5 or 6. My network here is really slow. Um, praise the Lord. Praise all servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Verse 3. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory above the heavens. 5. Look at this. Who is like the Lord our God? Who dwells on high. Watch this. Keep going. Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens? Excuse me. I thought your father lives in heaven. And heaven is the ultimate for you, right? It's humility on God's part. For you to write a letter to him with heaven as the address. That at any point in time you could trace God to our father. Who art in heaven is God teaching you humility. Do you understand? The heaven you are struggling to grasp. Is a minute thing for God that he had to humble himself to even look down at heaven. He's loftier than the highest heavens. The glory of heaven you have championed. You want to make it. You want to make heaven. You want to make heaven. It's not a reference point for the glory of God. 
humbles himself to behold him. So God is elevated high above the heavens. He, he, he pretty much tolerates heaven. So be careful that you're not elevating what he hasn't elevated. He is eternally complete in and of himself. Before heaven, God was God. And God was complete. That's why he can order heaven to pass away. And bring a fresh one. From heaven from God. Revelation 20 and 21. Oh, may God give you understanding. May your eyes be open to see. May, may the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Because it will add richness to the depth of your work with God. It will. It will. It, it definitely will. Because until you can begin to picture God for who he says he is, not for who you think he is, you will struggle with establishing his capacity. And you will stop fighting him because he didn't meet your need or answer one prayer, one small prayer. If you are God, he's like I am. If you are God, why didn't you answer me? Because I'm God. I don't need to answer you to be God. The reason why you are asking him if he's God is why is how he's showing you that he's God. He's eternally complete in and of himself. Isaiah 14, 12. Amen. <laughs> ah, Isaiah 14. It's a long read. We're going from 12 to 31. Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured heaven with his span. Measured heaven. And calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. Please stop there. He weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in the balance. Kilimanjaro, you are too heavy for Nigeria. Go to Tanzania. Everest, you are a bit too... Your volcanic activity is not so suited to Asia. This part of Asia, let's put you in Nepal. Uh, Lake Victoria, let's put you in Kenya, stroke, Uganda, stroke. He, he, he just measured the mountains in the scale and the hills in the balance. In the balance. This hill, let's put you here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Koma Hills, let's put you in Bono State. Uh, what's the one here? Mambila Plateau. Let's, let's put you here. Keep going. Let me not get caught up in this. We're going to 31. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? So you can help God, right? Heaven help those who help themselves. With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and who showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations as a drop in a bucket. And accounted as the small dust on scales. Let me explain that for you illustratively. When you finish weighing yam on a scale or something. You know those little residue? That's what he's referring to. That the nations are the dust that remains on a scale after it has been used. You know that one that you... The nations. Drop in a bucket counted as the small dust on the scales. Look! Go on. He lifts up the isles. That's islands. As a very little thing. Lift up means he causes them to surface from the waters. Because you know he separated the waters from the waters. In Genesis 1. So an island is essentially a piece of land. That is structured inside. Surrounded on all sides by water. 
right? If it's, if it's one side linking to it, it's an isthmus. It's called isthmus. If it has a little land barrier, permanent or temporal. Or if it's already on all four sides, it's an island. He lifts up the isles. If you've been to a proper island, you, you, you love God better. You are, you are arriving and you see cliffs. And you see a piece of rock jutting 20, 30 meters from the middle of nothing but water. And the plane is taxiing to hit the runway. You unconsciously find yourself praying the spirit. <laughs> because it's like a dream. Do you understand? It's like approaching um, the entire Hong Kong airport, for instance, is on water. The entire runway is on water. And if you miss it by a few meters, you are in this ocean. You get to Malta. Malta is in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. There is nothing surrounding it. It's just a big rock that just comes out from nowhere. You're just flying and then you just see a white rock. Literally, they call it an island. It's a rock. And then you see the runway there. You're about to land on something that you're not sure what it is landing on. Do you understand? What you're about to land on, you cannot tell how it is being held. So you watch these movies and you see places like Ireland and, 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 and places like that where you see jagged cliffs where there's a harbor and then you start to walk your way up into it. And the Bible says he lifts them up. That's a very little thing. Next verse. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. Uh, no, it's beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. You want to give God an offering that is worthy of Give him a befitting offering. An offering he's worthy of. He says, Lebanon, cedars. The cedars of Lebanon are the most prized wood available. So that's why he says, Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. Do you, do you, I wish, oh my God. It's important that when you read scripture, you should allow your imagination to come alive. Don't just read it. The scripture is alive. Oh. It's quick and powerful. Allow your imagination to stretch. Don't, don't be in a hurry to run over scripture. Lebanon is not enough to burn. What does that mean? You see how choices in Lebanon. Cedars of Lebanon. Choice wood. That's what Solomon used to build the temple. Yeah. It's the finest wood there is. And God is saying, Lebanon does not have enough wood to burn for sacrifice. No, all the animals in the world are not enough. Keep going. For a burnt offering. So next time when you sing, what shall we say unto the Lord? All we have to say is thank you. Mean it. Waiting, I go give to you my prayer. You no want money, my praise. I no get money. Minute. Minute. Peace are not sufficient for a bunch of them. Keep going. We're going to... All nations before him as nothing. And they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. So we say Christ is the game changer. To whom then would you liken God or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silversmith casts silver chains. De de describing how gods are made. Yeah, Idols. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution. Chooses a tree that will not rot. <laughs> he seeks for himself. Do you understand? In other words, somebody that is so poor. He wants to make his own god once. And let that god last long. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I don't have money to be changing god. Every two years, because my God is expiring. Do you understand the wood? My God, I'm going home early. Where is her? I'm taking my God to the carpenter? Why the leg of my God? Don't they rot him? 
We need to change the leg and give the God a new leg. So it says those that cannot afford to be doing God's regularly, they choose a, a piece of wood that will last long enough to spare them the hassle of updating their God. And six for a skillful workman, man, somebody say man, to prepare a carved image that will not rot, that will not totter. Keep going. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth. When he will also blow on them. And they will wither. And the whirlwind take them away like stubble. Keep going. To whom then would you liken me? Or or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. Every demon, every principality, every witch, every power, every angel, every seraph, every cherub. He calls them by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, oh Jacob and speak, oh Israel. My way is hidden from the Lord. And my just claim is passed over by my God. God cannot see me. There's no way God is paying attention to me. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Go on, go on. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Keep going. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. 31 and the last verse. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And when that kind of God tells you, I'm on your side. Mbok. Rest. When that kind of God tells you, I am your sufficiency. It means you can draw from me all you want. Nothing spoiled. I'm praying that somebody lives here tonight provoked to capitalize on their sonship. To capitalize on your sonship. Draw from God. God does not mind. I know there's only three people that believe what I'm saying in this room. And it's okay. It's fine. It's not for everybody. It's not for for everybody. It's okay. It's okay. But there's somebody that will catch this. And impossibility dies in your life tonight. It dies. Because you caught this. Because you caught this. The excellence that you seek. The excellence that life camps are wanting to teach you. The excellence that motivational speakers are wanting to teach you. Is embedded. It's an impression in your inside. That just needs expression. Because Christ, the sufficiency of God is on your inside. Oh, do you believe it? That's the question. That's the question. There is nothing you seek in the earth that is not resident inside you. Wait, Christ moved in and you need something else. Wisdom, so force, moved in. Logos, moved in. 
dunamin moved in. Exusia moved in. Dogza moved in. Kabod moved in. What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Power, strength, glory, authority, peace, dexterity, competence, sufficiency, supply, abundance, a plethora of creative ideas. The person that formed the entire universe moved into you. And you are looking for something? No, tell anybody you don't know who's on your inside. We are, we are being subjugated because we have refused to come to terms with who is on our inside. Religion has allowed them, and even New Age gospel, New Age, New Testament gospel, has downplayed and watered down the effect of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ could die for you. He could save you from sin, but he can't set you up in high places. He can't cause you to excel. You're happy to be mediocre on the earth because you are following God. A son of God. You are an embarrassment to sonship. He didn't save you to make you second class. He saved you to sit you with him. How can you sit with him and heathens are prospering over you? Somebody is given a contract. The believer is given a contract. The unbeliever manages to do it better than the believer. How? They should give you 100 million. And they give the unbeliever 600 million. And you drop yours and finish it. Because there's creative ideas God gives you. Is that you just sit down and pray in the spirit. And God tells you what combination of mortar to use. What combination? Where to get the clay from? Don't get it from Dupani. Go and get it from Kogi. Little ideas that God will drop in your head. That if you are listening, change the entire ball game of your delivery. It doesn't have to be that you had more money. It just has to be that you have Christ who is more than enough. And he is to you that advantage. He does not mind. He does not mind forgiving your sins and causing you to excel. He has enough tits. Unbox him. He doesn't mind presenting you before the father spotless without blemish or wrinkle and causing you to excel in the earth as an expression of his kingdom. He is enough. Just drink. Drink. Let God tell you, ah, you're using me too much. No. As you are drinking, milk is flowing. Malisko ziba. As you are pulling, virtue is flowing. As you are placing a demand on it, take it all. Use it. You didn't use it well. You're, now you understand, ah, I shouldn't have done this thing the way I did it. Go back and drink some more. You started a business, it didn't work, it's not quite working, and you're like, come back to the Holy Spirit, drink some more. It's not running out because you spent it uselessly. And one day you wake up and you realize you have mastered how to spend his resources. Lengthen your borders. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your thinking. God is not interested in doing what you desire. He says he's able to do exceedingly far above, far above, far above all you could ever ask or imagine. Don't be afraid to imagine. Because when you finish imagining your largest, there's enough teeth to supply for it. The problem is you're not dreaming enough. 
You're not projecting enough. You're not stretching enough. You're not applying enough. You're not occupying enough. You're not transacting enough. You're quick to settle. You think God is impressed with you because you are poor. Oh, look at him. He's so humble. He just take the whole world and give me Jesus. Take the order. Give me Jesus. Take the whole world and give me Jesus. I was sharing with somebody this afternoon and I told her when she was asking me questions about how you say we should not be praying for God to kill our enemies. But if we don't kill them, they're going to kill us. I asked her, I said, what kind of God is he that cannot protect you without killing somebody? That God will have to kill somebody is God admitting that somebody is powerful enough to spoil his plan in your life. So the only way God can preserve you, sir, is to kill the person that is trying to kill you before the person can kill you. I come against that God. I bind that God in the name of Jesus. I curse that God. Whatever his name is, including Jehovah. It's not what you call him, sir. It's who he is. A God that cannot perform until he kills the person that wants to kill you. So God cannot protect you without killing the other person. No, if God is powerful, the whole idea is that God is just shielding you. I told her, I said, what, do, what, what have they not done? Take our picture to the coven. Take our name. And, oh, what have they not done? Put a pot with feathers and oil and blood and doing, in, send us messages and phone calls and say, by this time, it is beautiful. It is lovely for stuff to be happening around you and it's not affecting you. And I told her, I said, David, David, I keep going back to David. David said, thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. You were wanting to kill your enemies. David was wanting to feed them. And I, told her, I showed her John 17 where Jesus was praying for his disciples. The longest prayer he prayed on record. And he says in 15, I do not pray that you should take them away from the evil one. But from the world, but that you keep them away from the evil one. So God is able to keep you away from the evil one in a world controlled by the evil one. Then I showed her how John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He didn't love the church. Anybody who is, an, who is wicked to you, anybody who wants you dead, that person is worldly. Anybody who is plotting your downfall is in the world. What did God do to them? Why didn't he judge them? Because they're in the world. What did he do to the world? So you now want for somebody that God loves to be killed. Because it's only you that he loves. Now he doesn't love the world anymore. That love has aspired. No. Paul starts to tell them in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1. He says, pray for us. That the word of God may run swiftly. And prosper just as it has prospered. With you. Then in verse 2, he says, Also pray for us that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith. Why didn't Paul tell the church to pray for unreasonable and wicked men to be killed? No, he covered his jurisdiction. Pray for us that we may be delivered from evil men because not all people believe. So they don't believe. They're doing what they do because they don't believe. However, we can be delivered from them. Does that make sense? doesn't need to kill them. For you, he's too powerful. He's too powerful. Otherwise, we leave him and go and be following people that want to kill us that God has to kill first. 
Command them to die. Command them to be slain. Who is doing the slaying? Somebody say God is more than enough. For me. To walk in me. To walk through me. And to work for me. It's more than enough. Don't be afraid to place a demand on him. A child is born sometimes and because of how the child comes or what time the child comes or what anatomical state the mother is in, lactation doesn't start immediately. That child just needs to stay there and suck. And suck and suck and stimulate that nipple until lactation starts. And sometimes the baby is crying. And sometimes the baby gives up. And you catch the head of the baby. There's a particular way you must latch the mouth. See, we have the whole counsel of God. There's no knowledge that should be alien to you. None. None. There's none. I, I, I pride in knowing. Because the capacity of God cannot be exhausted to learn. We can know scripture and no politics. No politics and no economics. No economics and no finance. No finance and no science. No science and no IT. No IT and no botanics. No botanics and there is no limit to what you can do. You are the only limit. So sit down there, meaning son of God. Son of God. People like you be working for people like us. It's not a curse. It's just that we'll be one step ahead of you and both of us are sons of God. But you can get up and go, you know what, I'm going to maximize every ability of God on my inside and leverage it to my advantage. That's why you're a son. You are saved to occupy. Did you hear what I'm saying? You're saved to occupy. You're saved to rule. You're a king and a priest. You should live an advantageous life. You are called into superior living. Sons of God are called into what? Superior living. You're not their mate. Uh, is anybody hearing me tonight? No, no, no. If there's something to learn, I am learning it. If there's something to know, I am knowing it. I was telling the same person I spoke with this afternoon. I said, there's nothing I personally apply myself to do that I will not be good at. I, I don't know how not to be good. Because he that said it was good, day one, two, three, six, very good, is on my inside. So why are you surprised that I'm good at everything I'm trying to be good at? No, I've not even started good, you know. No, no, no. If we had some other human resources at our disposal. So let it be that the limitations are human resources around you that you know that if you had what you are achieving now at 10%, are you following me? Not that you're not doing anything because you're not doing anything. But you're doing everything with little or nothing until the day preparation meets opportunity. If you cut this and apply it, you realize you all along the only person and thing that was stopping you was you. It was you. Because the creative force of God is on your inside. And every time he created stuff, he created stuff out of nothing. So why are you wanting everything before you start? How then are you like your father? How then are you in his image after his likeness? Oh, if I had a makeup kit. Oh, if I had a, if I had a, if I had a, if I had a, what do you have? Even the guy had just a rod and God used it. We have nothing. Somebody say nothing. Say five loaves and two fish. That's what they said. They said we have, so as far as they were concerned, these five loaves and two fish, 20,000 people, this is nothing. 
5,000 men, Bible says, besides women and children. I've told you over and over, in every crusade, there's more women and children than men. So there were 5,000 men, besides women and children. There were at least 15,000 women and children. Conservatively put. So between those five loaves, they said we have nothing. In any case, there's five loaves. And two fish. And all Jesus needed was something in the ground. What do you have in the ground? Am I in the ground? What, I don't mean what did you sow to your prophet. That's not a ground. That's a wallet, a purse, or a bank account. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? You want, you want to start a business. You go and sow the money to your prophet. It will not start the business. No, that's not a seed, sir. Hello? Seed is what you plant into what you want to reap. You don't want to reap my ministry, sir. You want to reap your business. Sow into your business today. Bless me as you are able today, yesterday, and tomorrow. But to sow, sir. Sow into where you are supposed to reap. Are you still here tonight? (laughs) Because you have the sufficiency of God on your inside. It's more than enough. When you go home, just have that picture in your mind of a very big God. Like a very big limitless pig. With billions and billions and billions and billions. Billions of divinely mechanized teeth. Somebody say mechanized. mechanized. That you don't need to squeeze it. God Himself doesn't need to squeeze it. It is strictly grace operated. Yes. Divinely mechanized. And picture yourself lying down. Hey, He makes me to lie down. That's what David said. To lie. Imagine yourself just lying down. Under these teats and just sucking as you have need. And you're sucking a teat for financial supply. You're sucking another teat for righteousness. You're sucking another teat for health. You're sucking another teat for divine wisdom in your job. You're sucking another teat to come into a further understanding of God. You just lie down in green pastures. Just chilling under the self-sufficiency of the almighty God. It makes me to lie down. In green pastures. Picture it. You see why some of us are not ashamed? Because you see we have what our eyes have seen. We don't need the way you look at us. To change how we live out the conviction of what we have seen. Your opinion carries zero relevance. Zero. I will not reduce the volume of my commitment to God. Because of how you look at me. It's not your breast I'm sucking. So sit down there and be all nice and cute like you don't use the toilet. Yeah. Just be all nice and sweet. Ah, this person is very crazy. No, if you see what we see, you won't be able to contain yourself. Your body is too small to contain yourself if you come into the revelation of who you are in God through Christ. Your voice is too, it's not loud enough to shout. Your body, your legs are not long enough to jump. You be besides yourself. You become another man. Saul was just anointed king. 
No Holy Spirit, no Jesus, no cross. And he says he met prophets and he became another man. How about you that is a new creation? Species that never existed before. Of the exact replica and substance as Jesus. You should apologize to yourself for living beneath yourself. You should apologize to yourself for living beneath yourself. You owe the church an apology because as you live beneath yourself, you are subjugating the growth of the church and its expansion of the kingdom. The resources are in your hand. You just have refused to stretch your hand and work it. You have the sufficiency of God. Christ, your sufficiency. I will show you next week how Christ is the fulfillment of the Genesis 1.28 blessing. Be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish. Have dominion. Subdue. That blessing is fulfilled in Christ. He is your multiplication. He is your dominion. He is your replenishment. So when Christ came and was given to us as the blessing, everything God is capable of was transferred to you. Look at that next week. But in the meantime, if you are graced, if you have audacity in the spirit, you begin to revisit everything you are capable of and realize you are capable of more. Stretch. Because you are lying under the inexhaustible supply of God's sufficiency. That's what Christ brought you into. He didn't bring you in and then leave you to sustain yourself. He is your sustenance. Somebody say sustenance. It's your sustenance. He blesses the work of your hands. He causes you to prosper. That's how somebody was hosting the church. Gaius. If he was poor, materially, we would not have heard anything about him. That's how another lady was hosting the church. Lydia. Cloth merchant. Prosperous. And she was a pastor. Had a church in her house. People have abounded having all sufficiency. God is not intimidated by your good life. You understand your bad life doesn't impress God. You can afford to live here. You live in one place. It, just, it doesn't impress God. Oh God, oh look at her. She has denounced the, the world. Jesus didn't have a house at a point. At some point later, he had a house. It wasn't for the entire length of his ministry that foxes had holes, birds had nests, and the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He had a house in Capernaum. So life is in seasons. Life is in seasons. But Jesus had no money. But he needed a Judas Iscariot to keep the treasury. What treasury was Judas keeping? That was successful enough for Judas to steal from. Ministry money. Where did Jesus get it? Then you go and read Luke chapter 8 verse 1. Put it up on screen. You go and read Luke chapter 8 verse 1. This is just in passing. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and but bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And look at this. And the twelve were with him. Keep going. Quickly. And certain women. Someone say certain women. Who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene. Out of whom he had, had come seven demons. And Joanna the wife of Chusa. Herod's steward. Herod's chief of staff. Hello. And Susanna. And how many others? Who did what? Provided for him from their money. Jesus. Son of God was being sponsored and bankrolled by sons of men. In fact, daughters of men. You cannot have the wife of chief of staff giving to you regularly and not need a treasurer. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So what makes you think that Jesus is intimidated by your wealth? The only time is a problem is when you place it above him. Like the rich, wrong, wrong ruler that Jesus said, and Jesus loved him. So go on, deploy the energy of God on your inside. Why did God have to create the earth? Why did he just create you and put you in heaven? If earth is such a problem. God has no plans for you on the earth. This world is not my own. I'm just a passing through. He should have just created you and put you straight in heaven. And not bothered to take us through this whole hassle of an earth we have to survive but not prosper in. Excuse me, I'm a believing believer. I, 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 I use my modus. I renew my mind and let the Holy Spirit download it. Do you understand? I don't just follow sheepishly. I think I'm a critical believer. I'm practical, but I'm critical. I'm practical because I'm critical. I act at the point of the utmost levels of conviction. Why did he create you and just put, create earth and put you in it? Somebody messed up the earth. It's your duty to correct it, to fix it. Because you're now the second Adam. You're not the last Adam. You're supposed to excel where the first one failed. You're supposed to. That's what you have sonship for. That's, that's your reconciliation. Brought back to the place of dominion. Not the place of being subservient to somebody. Because Christ is your what? Is your what? Tell your neighbor, suck away. Oh, pun intended. Suck away, suck, suck. Oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, 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 suck it. Suck it, just, just all the teeth of God are available to you. Just suck away. Sure, suck away. Oh, you know what? You know how the child will go and play football and come back and stand and suck the breast? Every single kind of stubborn boys. Four-year-old, they're having conversation. They're playing tablet. I saw one the other day. I was, I was embarrassed. He talking full. He wears the glasses. Four-year-old kid. And he was playing tablet, playing tablet, playing tablet. His baby brother took the tablet. He cried on my last trip. He cried and he says, why did you take it? Why did you switch it off? But why? Then the baby brother said, sorry. He said, sorry, that's all you're going to say. Sorry. Four-year-old. And then he took the tablet and he just went and pulled his mother's teeth out with his tablets in his hand and his glasses on his face. And said, <laughs> and started to what? To suck away. I was embarrassed for the gentleman. I was embarrassed for his mother until the Lord said to me, son, look at that picture carefully. I said, it's a woman who is feeding her four-year-old son. Her breast is out in the office. And God said, I said, look at that picture. That's where this came from. I'm like, Lord, this woman, I said, son, look at the picture. So I looked. He said, does the woman look like she has a problem feeding the boy? I said, it doesn't look like it, sir. I was in an office. It was a corporate meeting I went for. I was waiting for my turn. And he said, do you think that the woman has any sense of the embarrassment that you feel? He said, no, sir. He said, so what makes you think that you cannot do the same to me? He says, why do I draw the example of a mother and her suckling child? So again, you can be all cute because you are so religious and righteous. There are some words you never say. Sit down there. We whose eyes are opened, 
we're going to take advantage of everything the multiple breasts of God has to offer. And we are not ashamed to stand as sons of God and line up in the teeth of the Most High and suck the milk that only Him can supply. He asked me, he said, what's the primary thing a child gets from his mother when he sucks? I said, milk. So when I called my children out of Egypt, I told them I was going to take them to a land flowing with what? Why don't you want to suck? How else does milk come? The milk you enjoy, have you seen them squeeze it out? Now it's mechanized now. Are you embarrassed to suck? Why are you embarrassed? Why are you feeling like you're disturbing God? They're asking him too much. What is too much? When he's able to do exceedingly abundantly far above. The reason why some of us will have speed in our lives and ministries is because we're not, we're not second guessing what we're expecting God to do for us. Do you understand? Right now, right now, written down in my head and in my book, I have a four billion pound vision. So if you drop four billion pounds right now, that's one point something trillion naira. In one week, it's gone. In that four billion, if a thousand naira drops towards that vision, I know exactly what one thousand naira can afford in my vision. So I'm not sitting down waiting for four billion. But because I know, like I started this meeting by telling you, that sufficiency is in the knowing that periodically there's supply when you have need of it. So you continue to draw. 5% today, 20% tomorrow, 100%, 2%. You are just leveraging on the ability of God. Dreaming is free. You don't pay tax for dreaming. Hello? Has anybody here gone out to buy petrol because you want to dream? You want to imagine, say, excuse me, please, 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 please. I need, I need to, I need light. I was trying to imagine something, but light never took light. And it, it, it deleted, it threw my imagination into darkness. No. Dreaming is free. Imagining is free. Use it. And then it becomes God's to bring to pass. Because the sufficiency, 2 Corinthians 3 and 5, not that we have any sufficiency. Of ourselves. But our sufficiency. Take a few seconds and talk to yourself tonight. And not praying to God. Talk to yourself. Enforce for yourself. What you have come into. You can speak it gently. You can speak it out loud. However you want to say. Speak to yourself and challenge yourself. To maximize the sufficiency of God in Christ tonight. Maximize it few seconds, if you want to write something down, write it down. I'll just switch off my microphone for a few seconds, maybe 60 seconds. I'll just allow you to just brood and dream and picture and write and strategize and repent and determine. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Father, for reminding us or calling us respectively into the realization that you are our sufficiency. Thank you that for those of us here who will put this word to practice, our best days just began. And for those of us here who will put this word to practice, our best days just began. For those of us who will put this word into practice, our best days just began. We thank you for it and we give you praise. In Jesus' name. And we give God praise tonight. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.